0: Welcome to another episode of Stoke Meter. Today we have Selby Clark. I met Selby through a, a good friend of mine, Pam Zambik, who was a former podcast guest. And in this case, Selby is along the same lines of doing some amazing things with our veterans. She is transforming the veterans experience. And, and matter of fact, that's going to be the title. Thing hey, so Selby, welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm so happy to be here.
0: It's so fun because we've we've been able to talk a little bit before the show and just the state of mental health just across the board. Before we get into that, I, uh, first of all, Sylvia is a gold star spouse, it's a CIA officer, and a U.S. Navy EOD tech, Casey Clark. Uh, who unfortunately pass away. She is also uh, the director of the Booz Allen AI Adoption uh, and a board member on a number of different organizations. She also is uh, born of immigrant parents. And what a fantastic story there. But anyway, I just want to get right into the things that you are currently doing. Give us a little bit about yourself.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you for so much, Maurice, for having me. I'm really excited to be here and just share some of the things I'm working on that I'm passionate about. Yeah, I think that the biggest thing that uh, is close to my heart right now is really beginning the process of writing a memoir actually about my husband, my late husband, Casey, who, um, as you said, died in service to our country three years ago. He was deployed in Djibouti where he contracted malaria and COVID. So it's a very Sudden loss. Casey had lived a, a really uh, intense, courageous life. He had a total of fifty-seven deployments, oh, uh, which yeah. is something really unheard of. I, I, I don't. I think people just shudder when I say that. But <laughs> um, he really did, and it even surprised me when the CIA had, you know, told me after his death how many deployments he did. So he did 50 with the CIA. They have three main groups of a function there called the Special Activity Center, uh, the ground branch, the air branch, and the maritime. And Casey actually served in all three branches. He was a very elite warrior. And he, as you said, in EOD, uh, Explosive Ordnance Disposal, jumped out of planes, uh, did deep sea diving, defused bombs. And so we, our life was really unique. We, we met on an aircraft carrier, which was pretty crazy. I I was working for PwC Consulting at the time. They had this really cool opportunity to go on an aircraft carrier and help the Navy with their ship-to-ship communications, their IT21 software suite. And I was 24 at the time, and I thought this sounds great. I didn't have money to go tour right. Europe after college like like <laughs> some of my peers, so I thought it was I thought it would be a great idea. But it really uh, made a patriot out of me, just living on that aircraft carrier and uh, seeing how our service members live, how they wait in line to eat and wait in line to take a shower and, and, and work so hard and, and just really understanding what it, what it meant to serve our country. It was, as you said, I my parents came from Sri Lanka. I was born here, but um, my parents are immigrants. And they didn't really in, you know evoke to me any kind of concept around a strong level of service to country and what that meant. Uh, they told me to study hard, get a job, don't talk to boys. <laughs> you know, but they did not they did not tell me to to serve my country. And, and you know, just living there really opened my eyes to that I you know, the USS Cole was attacked. It was a very interesting time. And that was that was also in retrospect, so interesting in, in my relationship with Casey, because yeah. we started dating in January of that of that cruise, of that deployment of 2001. Of course, 9/11 happened that year. Mm-hmm. Casey passed away exactly 20 years later, January 2021, which I thought was really wild. Of course, the war on terror a few months later. And I thought that was really ironic and just curious that his life and our relationship was centered that way. And just his courageousness, he, he just grew up very different from me. And I think it was probably my fascination with his patriotism, his service that, that began on that ship. But Casey came from a small town in Pennsylvania. Everett, Pennsylvania. It has two stoplights. There are actually two Medal of Honor awardees from this small town. So it really was a town that had a lot of patriotism. Almost every male in Casey's family served at least four years. And so Casey was just determined to serve as a young person. He was the captain of his football team the captain of his wrestling team he was ranked eighth in the state of of pennsylvania wrestling um, and he had scholarships but he was like no i'm I'm definitely going to go serve my country like that that's the plan sticking with it and he just believed i I think he softened on this but uh, i even have a quote from him from a newspaper article where he was like i believe every american owes some time to the military his mindset he felt that i think he broadened that later in life where he was like just serve you know your community don't just receive, give back, contribute. And that was a big part of his ethos. You know, Casey just, uh, you know, he, he led such a courageous life. And I think it stands in such great contrast to the way our society is because you know, and I, I'm myself guilty of this. But you know, we all want credit, we all want the glory, we all want the praise in our careers and jobs and getting promotions. And Casey wanted to serve the country, and and he did it in silence and secret. You know, he, no one knew about it, and he risked his life over and over again, and he went through a lot to do that for nice. the country. His, you know, his, it, it hardened a lot. Yeah. You know, uh, to do that, and I think in retrospect i i realized that while he was in the cia you know he was kind of in a continuous state of war cuz he was oh, gone for 2 months home for 2 months gone for 2 months home for 2 months and he did that roughly the last decade of his of his life and so we we lived that way but i didn't really see it that way you know now looking looking back i think he's like hey i'll be back I'm coming back I'm, I'm going back so just all of those things are really unique and just as I was fascinated with Casey in in some ways of, of how he served and, and um, his heart I I think I also know that he was inspired by other people who served he right. he was inspired by family members by the Medal of Honor awardees in his hometown but he he loved to watch old war movies even when after he passed I I had his phone and his like LinkedIn account you know the only things that he liked and there were stories of war heroes that was you know because you can see the person's like activities and in that same regard I think that it's important to share Casey's story so that other people Mm -hmm. can see that love that he had and also have some understanding and like I said I think that love that Casey has is a love that many service members and veterans have where like I met on that aircraft carrier so many years ago where they were just like I just want to serve my country I want to contribute it's a beautiful thing. It's a love story that they want to do that and serve a cause that's greater than themselves. It's something that that they endure deep injuries that even their closest loved ones, you know, myself or others, we can't always see it. We may not know how to help. And, and even at the case of Casey, when you're home for eight weeks, you don't have time to say, oh, do, should we go to therapy? Like we didn't have time for that. So those are things that I also think about. And I I know that there are, other service members that have gone through that who have just now that the war on terror is over they are home and reintegrating into life their family members that may be trying to support and not sure what to do and I just think for all those reasons you know I hope that this work will be helpful and and useful so it's been it's been kind of an evolution I, I think I, I I'll share like when I was really young when I was 20 maybe 21 I right. was in college and and I ran a strange story, but I went to a church. I went to a friend's church. I went to University of Maryland, and this pastor he's kind of a famous pastor, Pastor Harry Jackson. He had a church there called Hope, and he had some type of—I don't know if it's a really an altar call—but we were at the front of the church, and he was putting his hand like on our shoulder or on our head and saying a prayer over mm-hmm. each person. And some of the things that he said were like prophetic. Wow. And so for I actually have. The recording, but it's on a cassette, so I need to like
0: <laughs> cassette. that has been a while. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's that old.
1: But he he said you're a woman of great intelligence. You're you feel like you have to do things a certain the right way. Uh, but he also said uh, a master's degree is in your future, and he said books will be authored by you. And I again, I was like 21 years old. I'm, I'm much older now, but I oh I, I did get my MBA, but I always wondered like what am I gonna? I wonder what I'm gonna write about. You know, like right, what right. that's gonna be I used to think about that a lot and, and writing is definitely a big part of my job and then I will say that probably in the year before Casey passed I had mentioned the same comment that I, I just said like oh I wonder what I'm gonna write about you know from, right. from that visit and I I can picture him he, were, he was standing at the dining table and he kind of put his head down a little bit and he was like maybe you're gonna write about me I thought that was so interesting because Casey was a very quiet and humble person he came from a very a small town where they the culture in his family was not boastful it was not really the way they thought about things and so it says a lot that that he made that comment and that he believed in his own story to some degree, even though, you know, he was still alive, he didn't yes. know future. And that gives me some reassurance in in what I'm doing, because sometimes you're like, is this the right thing to do? Will it be useful? But yeah, that's, that's, uh, I know that was a long, that was a long intro, but that's, that's a little no. bit about me and what I'm doing.
0: It's an amazing intro. I love the fact that you gave so many details. And the thing that I've got to go back to that instigated the whole thing in the first place, how did you go on a battleship? As a civilian, yeah. A that, was, so that's, okay. that's the first question that I'm wondering about. Then the other one was you came in not knowing about military and their persona and such. And oftentimes it is heavily influenced by what we see on TV. It's all this bravado and this. And no, having met so many military friends, that's not so. What was it that impacted you most when you got there, maybe not having had any really Expectation, maybe. Does that make sense? Yes.
1: Um, well, I got to go on this ship. It was pre nine eleven, so mm-hmm. this was a whole different environment uh, right. politically, or at least. We thought it was a whole different (laughs) environment politically. Now we know there were things brewing. I was working for PwC Consulting. The U.S. Navy had purchased a technology suite called the IT21 Software Suite, and they had not fully integrated it into the way they did their operations. They just kind of bought the software, but they were not making changes. And so they wanted a team of consultants to come on board and really provide tactical solutions using the software. And ultimately their goal was to reduce the number of men on, on ships. Again, we were in totally different oh, wow. posture, mm-hmm. right? This was mm-hmm. a different environment. So there was a team that had gone on the USS Stennis before mm-hmm. me. They were the very first team to do it. And then we mm-hmm. were the second team and we deployed on the USS Abraham Lincoln out of Everett, Washington on the West Coast. Oh, Two and, Everetts, and, Everett, Washington. Yeah, and Everett, I know, Everett, isn't that right? cool? It's a weird coincidence. So it deployed. And I will tell you, um, you know, yes, I had very little concept. I went to a high school that had an ROTC program. Mm -hmm. I knew... A couple of students in my school that got into the academies, you know, and that got a lot of fanfare in my school. But like I said before, the concept of patriotism, of, of serving a cause that's greater than yourself, just wasn't in my mindset. It just, it, I don't think there was a lot of faith in my mindset. And there was, that. I think that does relate to how, why I connected to service, to country, but not so much this. And And so for me, from the very first day, it hit me like a ton of bricks when I saw at the port, at the gate, all the pregnant wives that were saying goodbye to their husbands on the ship. And again, my ignorance, that's 24 years old. You can't leave her. She's having a baby. (laughs) What is happening? And so that just that first experience, even the day that we left the and you just see all of the sailors standing at attention for a long period of time. But there were other moments that really changed me. There was a pilot who had, during training operations, gone to some level of G's that he didn't survive. Oh my um, gosh. He, he died. Uh, so we had a funeral on the ship for oh, him. Man. That had a, a big impact on me And in that experience. A, a really huge one, though, was when the USS Cole was attacked. Mm. Uh, we were in the Persian Gulf. Again, things were starting to heat up at this time. I saw all these sailors. And again, I met sailors who were 18 and 19 years old. Yeah. They sometimes had one or two children at home. I met some enlisted sailors that were on welfare. And yeah. I, I was like, how how are you on wel- uh, welfare? But you're on this ship. Like it was, it, that was wild to me, yes. um, you know, that concept. But these sailors uh, when the USS Cole was attacked, were give, taking their sea bags, which were very expensive for them, and giving it to the sailors whose things were damaged on the um, wow. USS Cole. They were lining up to do that. Like This sense of family yes. in the military was eye-opening to me. And And like I said, just the talks that I had with people on the ship, they live were the photos that they were showing you yeah. um, of, of their lives back home. It was really so all those things like it, I didn't know that there were thousands of people deployed constantly 24 seven all mm-hmm. year round for our for the, the protection of many parts of the world. Yeah. The, there were so many eye opening things to me coming on board that ship even just the leadership model, observing. I had Rear Admiral Belisle, who was head of the battle group, and I got to attend the Admiral's brief every day on the ship. So it was just, it was it, it was a huge and unexpected part of my life journey, and it changed, the, obviously, the trajectory of my life because I end up falling in love with a man who is uh, hu- hugely... Uh, devoted to country and as you saw in my work end yeah. up finding opportunities to serve in my own way with yes. veterans through the work I do with Allen and even now surprisingly again you know as, as Casey passes away I realized well maybe this is my role to be the storyteller and yeah. so yes that was a huge why how I came on that ship such a strange Yes, and I they probably never did that again after 9-11 occurred I don't that, think they would do that that was
0: just amazing I, I could even fathom i would have loved an opportunity like that just to see what goes into not only protecting this country, but to your point, what people really give and their intent isn't "Hey, I'm going to go and kick some butt and blah blah blah." It is genuinely to protect a country that they truly love. So, yeah, yeah. It's, and and it's, you know, there's
1: many reasons why people serve, but that is yeah. you have to trust that that is part of their reason. Yes. Um, and I get kind of offended, even though I'm not a service member. Yeah. When people try to make other comments like, "Oh, they don't have anything else to do," or oh, some yeah. Yeah. other type Types of comments, and it's a choice. It's a huge sacrifice, and some part of that decision um, aligns with their values.
0: And that, and that value is is something that is often not seen. To your point, there's there's all kinds of assumed uh, reasons that they go. And mm-hmm. those assumptions, once I'm sure there were many of the assumptions you had that were burst when you went on that ship and go, ah, yeah, maybe I wasn't. I, it I was remember. shocking.
1: Yeah. Right? I, told, I think I told you about like we had this thing called the executive officer or the EXO's happy hour on the uh-huh. ship. They'd make an announcement, EXO's happy hour. It was not a happy hour, it was <laughs> a cleaning hour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the first EXO's happy hour, I had a meeting and I had to move about the boat while they were cleaning. And so I I had to go down this ladder well, and I saw these sailors with metal toothbrushes cleaning each rung. I can't believe it. So just there, there was a level there just of respect and admiration we were in the heat and i know this goes on today we we're in the you know the persian gulf yeah. there were sailors fainting on yeah. the flight deck from heat exhaustion they're staying in 200 300 men birthings i was lucky i got to stay in a stateroom which is yeah. a smaller room yeah so i just thought yeah there was there was so much to service that i was very ignorant um and i lived yeah. for half a year so i really got a chance to get a Sense for it.
0: Six months. That's amazing. Well, with that, I know that's where you and Casey met. Now I want to get to the time after the meeting and then getting married and such. And this number is still blowing my mind, but 57 deployments. I can't even comprehend that. And I've gotta think that had to be so so challenging at times. And would you be willing to share what some of those challenges were that you faced? Yeah.
1: The- I mean you know, there there's the the little challenge, not the little challenges, but there's you know the missing the person, right? And and just the cycle of them leaving, like the emptiness that you feel at first, and then you get used to it. You put on your autopilot. You start, you know, just moving. Then they come home, yeah. it's like change gears, reconnect. Uh, so those are some of the challenges that probably a lot of people have. I often talk about like just in raising our daughters, it was harder on me in the beginning because I felt like my arm was gonna fall off yeah. with my two babies. And my yeah. youngest baby just she just wanted to be carried all I used to I used to just put her in a carrier because yeah. I, so I could you know have my hands because she just that's the only way she was content so I felt like my arm was gonna fall off and I was trying to like unload groceries with two little ones like dump them in the yes. kitchen run back, you know just <laughs> all these things that were like and then the dog got loose so then I had to put them in the in the stroller and yep. just juggling Um, but then uh, as they got older it became easy for me. They can brush their own teeth, they can get dressed, but then dads and donut is a day Mm -hmm. with tears. When we go to dinner parties, and and this is still true, I guess now, But and there's all families and we don't have a dad, it makes them sad. It's it's emphasized in those environments. So that makes them feel sad. There were hardships for Casey. I I think in the military, you have workups You have a preparation period before you go on deployment. You have some kind of decompression. I'm not sure. I'm sure it's a unique experience for everyone. Certainly at the op tempo that the CIA deploys its officers, you're just going straight. Literally, I have photos from when my first daughter was born because Casey missed the birth, unfortunately, oh, uh, but got, gets there the day after, comes straight to the hospital and has a full beard, like this huge <laughs> beard, right. because in Afghanistan, they, it was their tradition to to grow the beard culturally and for many reasons. So he has this huge red beard. I don't know why he had a red beard, but <laughs> he was like a dirty blonde person but his beard was super red and it just shows like how he literally comes from the war zone straight to the next day. Yeah. Uh and that is a lot on him. Yep. You know, that I I don't know because I'm just, you know, giving birth, <laughs> uh, but you know, but you know, in retrospect, I I see that particular time was uh, a deployment that was a one year deployment but he got to come home every 3 months for 3 weeks mm-hmm. so he was pretty much gone the whole year but that was deployment or that was a year long effort that i think was the first sign that war had changed Casey. Um, and Casey had been to war before. He had been right after 9-11. He had gone to Operation Iraqi Freedom. He was also in the Persian Gulf War. So he's he was in every war that occurred while he was alive. But that one year, he was in a very dangerous part of Afghanistan at the border of Pakistan and, and Afghanistan. I think it was called Shkin. They were in a base that had like, I think it was like three foot mud walls and they were getting robbed daily. And there was a lot of molestation of boys oh, in Afghanistan. Geez. I don't know this for, for fact, but just what I've heard is that there was a lot of influence by the Mujahideen to separate men and women. It, it may be that an after effect of that was the increased molestation of boys. And wow. it was kind of ubiquitous. Right. Casey, you know, translators mm-hmm. and other people had little boys living in their rooms. And it's Traumatized him. It just, it, it angered him. It disgusted him. He kind of had this hatred in him that I hadn't seen in the same way. Just all of it, just, and just the things that they would say as they killed, you know, all these things Mm -hmm. upset him, but that, there was more to come, but that was to me like the first sign of, of something in him that was uh, changing.
0: First of all, I can't really comprehend what he saw, but when he came back, what type of outlets would there have been? I mean, that is so much to hold on to things that he saw over there. And I I can't even fathom how I would have dealt if I was exposed to that type of thing. And maybe it was even normal by that time over there, too. So it's it's this class of cult, clash of culture a clash of morals, if you will and how did you help him did you were you able to help him through that or were there resources yeah, you, know, I, you know you I, know
1: I think that this 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 is sort of a glaring truth that, I saw after he died and I hate mm. to admit that, but uh, that, that I realized at least that I could have done, maybe I should have done more. So essentially, you know, yeah. as I was going through therapy and I, I still, you know, I'm in therapy uh, after Casey died, you know, we talked about how Casey had changed over yes. time. My therapist asked me, you know, how did, how did the family react to Casey mm. changing? And I said, and I thought, wow, now that I think about it, Everyone said something. Wow. His parents said something. My family said something. All the daughters said something. Well, not our littlest ones, but our older ones. Of course, I noticed it too. And I don't I don't see that from a place of blame. Yeah. Because I, I know that like when you're home for eight weeks, right? Like you 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 come home and you just want to decompress for two weeks. And then right. the last two weeks are just like shutting down for Casey. It was like, right. you know. He, there was like he didn't want to go. He was like anxious about going, and so those last two weeks, you just wanted to let him let him be, because he was trying to get his mind in a good place. So, you know, the middle four weeks, and then you've got to you don't want to go visit family, uh, and it just it just goes by fast and when you're when you're away all the time at war. You at least Casey he just didn't want to want to stay home. I I do wish that could have pushed for more because Casey did get some therapy the year before he died, and very helpful to him and it wasn't a, a long period of time, but I, I think I thought that he just would never do it. I think that there was like a stigma, but when push came to shove later in life, he totally did it and he was open to it and he learned from it. So I do hope that that, that could be a, a good outcome that that families and, and service members out there can pause and say, because we do this in life, not just for the service members, but even our friends and family. Who you know? Oh, uh, Jane has really changed. Have you noticed that? Like, yeah, she seems different. Yeah, I've noticed that too. But sometimes we just don't do anything, and yeah. and maybe you you don't always need to do something. And I don't mean to instigate in unnecessarily, but you just see that our, our mental health is, as you and I were talking earlier, so many topics, so many things fall yeah. back on that. You and I also talked about connection earlier, and yes. and when you know you you're in trauma or you go through trauma and something has gone wrong that shouldn't be the way things happen and you're upset about it as i said you have to go through these layers to to connect with the person because yes. you're in a state being upset yeah. or uh, and then you you know have to be aware of yourself and yes. then You know, I don't mean to sound like a school buck here, but this is how I've I've learned since Casey passed, you know, then how do I regulate myself? How do I help myself just take a moment and uh, understand how I'm feeling and then And then you need good people in your life to actually listen to you and not just listen to respond, which we're all guilty of. And I definitely am. And so when people are hurting and if someone's in their world and you're trying to connect with them, sometimes we have to help deregulate them in order to connect with them. And I think we're all in that struggle in, in this Journey of life. Yeah. Certainly, I, I just know that, I, and I have a special appreciation for uh, the trauma that our service members take on to to care for us, to help yeah. country, and and then they suffer for that. And yeah. so, how can we how can we do more to yeah. help? And like I said, that's something that Casey and I were were sprinting, <laughs> I, yeah. I, you know, in life. He was deploying to war zones constantly. I was working full time raising the girl. I had my older parents here family and just we were just in the hamster wheel. I don't think and, and we neglected. Us yeah. really in mm-hmm. in in the pursuit of of just taking care of everybody and our jobs and so I yeah that that's something that I think was a challenge in the deployments mm-hmm. and something that I don't I I guess you know it's like you say I don't wish that on anyone but because I know people are out there mm-hmm. suffering like what what could we do to reach out to them you know so many of these programs have resources it's like this it's like this perpetual problem that our veterans our service members have services available but there's mm. some friction yes. between them wanting or possibly looking for that and being able to get it like yep. the processes the bureaucracy the under- knowing that the program's available how to get to it yeah. all all those kinds of things and i believe that if you ask enough yeah that the go- this government has those services and and figuring out and there's so many nonprofit that all so care about this topic, but we still have, you know, 20 veterans a day dying by suicide. So yeah, you know, and, right. and like I said, you know, for so many reasons, but that the, that's my long winded answer of the yeah. impact of the all 57 deployment. Well,
0: first of all, thank you for being that vulnerable. It's not it's never easy. I, and I also want to thank you for helping me understand something that is so easily forgotten when you want to help someone. And that is, that is so often on their timeframe. You can't Think that they're like I'll get impatience based on my own experiences. Uh, why can't you get over this? <laughs> it's, it, yes. it's something that comes out yes. right. And yes. in our prior conversation, I was we're, I was talking about an individual that was on another podcast and said that. That darkness is his his only thing that he knows, and that's what he's going to hold on to until I I feel safe to get past that. And that's a pretty laborious endeavor and also takes a lot of patience and understanding. 57 deployments worth of that stuff, that was something that was a team effort. It's something that every family that I'm – again, this is my assumption since I don't have an immediate family member – that is deployed at the at present but it would be something that would truly require such an immense team effort and that's why I appreciate what you're doing in in your organization and the things that you're doing for not only the veteran themselves but their families and that leads me back to another thing and that is what would you want a person to know that's either going through it right now might or might be prepping for Uh, the deployment of a loved one and what would you tell the person being deployed um,
1: for for somebody who has a family member deployed or prepping for deployment, you know, I, I think some of the first thoughts that come to my mind certainly are getting time together, slowing down, and just getting some time to connect before they leave. It's hard, uh, and usually it's an anxious time for everybody. I think that the the bigger uh, message that I would have if somebody was going through some of the challenges that I went through is is to try to get therapy for for you and and your loved one and even if you don't know if you need it just by virtue of the fact that you have a loved one that is going on these types of trips and and is getting deployed I just think that in general now that I've gone through so much therapy that therapy is about learning about yourself and that's really kind of like the journey of life right we're trying to learn about ourselves we're trying to be true to ourselves and so you know I just say that to say like you know everybody can benefit from this but especially for you and, and for you as a couple or you as a family to invest in this area, there's, you know, there's nothing more important, you know, the quality of your relationships, Esther Perel, if you know her, she's a relationship expert, but she always says the quality of your relationships will determine the quality of your life. Yeah. So I would just encourage them to, to get therapy for, for us, I, I, the CIA world has so many unique challenges because it's a very isolated type of environment. There's not a military base. There's not a military community. I I didn't, talk to anybody in the organization while yeah. Casey really worked there I didn't know any of the other families so in the military sometimes they do have those communities and, and definitely take advantage of those and then also for, for Casey also just another unique aspect was that in some locations it was just him working oh, with local militia or staying in austere environments yeah. but often maybe one, sometimes one or two people Now on some posts like Kandahar or other places, there was yeah. more people there, there was a building, there might have been a cafeteria, there was like more signs of life. And Casey did better in those mm. stations. But when he was like super alone, it's too much solitude. And it it, it can do something to your psyche. So I would just I, I really encourage families and service members to consider getting therapy to see if you can find other groups to consider therapy before and after or maybe you know now with virtual world but really invest in that because um, sometimes in relationship get to a place of just neglect and you get to a place of inertia right like you go to a dark place and you stay there or you're upstairs and I'm downstairs and we'll just do our own thing and you just stop connecting yes. um, deeply. And like I said, that, that, you know, we need to kind of dysregulate to connect sometimes. So I, I I really hope and pray for that for our service members and their families. And, you know, I hope in this process we can, you know, I know there's many organizations trying to demystify and help uh, ease access for our service members and veterans. And, and I would be so happy to help with that too. But yeah, get help, uh, get time alone, really invest. It was always our last thing. Oh, let's have a date night. Oh, wait, there's four other things that we could do. Okay, we'll just do date night another time. It's fine. Yeah,
0: we'll, the we, prioritization. We got, we got it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sylvie, this is topic of, of deep thought. And what I'm hoping is that uh, I can set you up with some other folks that have been on the show prior to this to see if there's any synergies there, because it's such an incredible work. And wanted to thank you for the vulnerability. I also thank you for your deep commitment to to the military and uh, the, the work that you're leading over at Booz Allen too. I mean, how fabulous is that?
1: I really appreciate you taking some time with me and allowing me a chance to share my work.